You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll be talking about a good Karen. And I'll be talking about... Checking, Brandi. <laughs> and I'll be talking about some terrible fucking friends. Oh, great. So friends who kill their friend. You guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So good to be back mm, in mm, the mm, sex mm, dungeon. Mm. How much sex has been going on in the dungeon since I've been gone? Since you've been gone. <laughs> We've been banging all over this table. Oh, I was going to say for the first time, but oh. <laughs> Norman and I have been married for a long time. Yeah, he took that virginity pact, though. So. <laughs> Finally wore him down. <laughs> Anyway, everyone, um, if you haven't been keeping up with us on social media, you'll know that, well, you won't know know. that um, our break was a little longer than intended because, like any good Midwestern gal, I caught a trend about two years after it was cool. (laughs) Norman and I finally got COVID. (laughs) You're like the opposite of hipster. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, COVID was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get what what were your what were your main symptoms? Did you get the brain fogs? I oh my god, Norm was so mad at me. Here okay, here's what I did one night. Uh-huh. Uh you know, I wanted to be productive all through COVID, mm-hmm. uh-huh, which is hard with the brain fog. Yeah. I decided I was going to take my white bath mats down to the basement, soak them overnight with the, you know, like yeah. white oxy clean revive yeah. stuff. Yeah. Not sponsored, just a great product. Yeah. Use <laughs> okay. it on my bedding. <laughs> So, you know, you soak from yeah. that for a while, then you throw it in the wash. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I turned on the faucet in the basement, and then I got distracted, and then I went upstairs. And so all night long. <gasps> all night. All night. <laughs> the water, she oh, ran. shit. Yeah. Oh, no. It wasn't good. That's not good. And then, luckily, someone in the Discord warned me that, like, COVID plays tricks on you. So, like, all of a sudden, you'll feel great yeah. for no reason, and you're, you'll you think you're done with it. Yeah. But, no, it's just <laughs> wait. Just waiting, just lurking. So, literally, the day they said that to me, I had decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to paint the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I, luckily, no. Good. I had no energy <laughs> for that. Anyway, uh, I um, am also very hot, just like you, mm-hmm. and I have severe seasonal allergies <laughs> right now. So I apologize for my snifflies. Um, I told Kristen right before we started recording, grass pollen is off the charts right now, folks, and uh, I can't breathe. <laughs> mm. Mm. It's a good podcast. I'm glad you all tuned in. <laughs> 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know what, Brandy? What, Kristen? I have missed this. Can I call you Sniffles? Can I call you Sniffles? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have missed this, but you know. We've stayed in touch with our audience through oh, Patreon oh during gosh, this break. Oh my gosh, I was just going to move on to your story. I was just going to enjoy, but you're right. We haven't talked about our Patreon. Mm-hmm. You know, on the Patreon, you get bonus episodes, and they are full-blown meaty boy bonus episodes. That sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Full-blown meaty boys? Yeah, it sounds like that's not something that happens after you it, go to Jimmy John's. It, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. If that does appeal to you, though, it's at the $5 level on Patreon. You get a monthly bonus episode. <laughs> you get into the Discord to chitty chat the day away with other fine listeners of this yeah, program. Tell them about how you just had a full-blown meaty, meaty boy. boy. <laughs> They'll know what you're talking about. At the $7 level, you get all that, plus a sticker, plus our autographs, plus you get inducted at the end of this podcast. That's right. But that's not all. There's much, much more waiting for you at the $10 level. That's the Bob Moss level. Ah, What happened to that level? (laughs) That level, you get all that stuff we already talked about, plus you get ad-free episodes, Mm. and you get them a day early. That's right. Plus... 10% 10% off merch. Yeah. Don't say 10% off on merch. No, because it's Because a- Brandy will make fun of you <laughs> and lower your self-esteem, <laughs> which is already so low. <laughs> Are you ready for this jelly? I am so ready <laughs> this is for this jelly. This is and I know this is so much. <laughs> but every now and then, do you think about like the person who this is their first episode? Yes. And some Midwestern white lady's like, Are you ready for this jelly? <laughs> oh, are you? Um, <laughs> what? I don't think you're ready. <laughs> Our music references are 20 years old. It's cool. It's cool. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway, Brandy's 85. Um. Uh, so, uh, shout outs to <laughs> you. Normally, don't let it slide when I say that you're 85 it's fine. years old. I kind of am. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about the case I'm about to tell you about? No. Oh, an ignorant slut. Very good. <laughs> what are you reading right now? Nothing. Uh, you're reading something. What a thingy! And so I'm just doing the thingy real quick. Mm-hmm. Got it. I'm ready to pay attention fully now. Oh, great. I'm glad to have you with us. <laughs> Shoutouts to an episode of West 57th. And you might be like, what the, the hell is that? that? Well, it ran on CBS um, in 1989. Okay. It was a like news program. Oh. Anyway, found that on YouTube. Quite helpful. What's the, the source of that name? I don't know. I mean, maybe they had an office on West. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
deeply do you think I dug in? Okay, you know what? I did dig a little bit. Jane Polly was on this TV mm-hmm. show. I always liked mm-hmm. Jane Polly. I know. When, uh, you know, when I hear a name like that, I'm like, I wonder what that is. So I start doing a little Googling. I thought maybe you'd done the same. Clearly you haven't. I, I did a little. I know about Jane Polly. Okay, great. Hmm. Good for you. You don't know why it's called West 59th or whatever. I. You know what? I heard that Stone Phillips thinks you're dumb. <laughs> Probably does. <laughs> Fine. Wait, which one's Stone Phillips? See the one with the face that doesn't move? Yes. <laughs> he looks so serious all the time. Yeah. I would love to see him at a kid's birthday. <laughs> that man wouldn't crack a smile. Never. The title of that episode was Bitter Quarrel, mm. colon, A Test of Love. No, I don't think you have to say the colon out loud. I always do. <laughs> Another one, I'm not going to name the – I'm not going to name the headline. I'm not going to say the headline. Uh-huh. I'm great at speaking. It's yeah. fine. Don't worry. This month off hasn't done anything yeah. to my brain. Nope. Uh-uh. It was written by Benjamin Kwan for the Minnesota Lawyer. Ooh. Also, a lot of old-timey stuff from the New York Times. Very helpful. And by old-timey, we're talking about the 80s, so it's not That's super rude. rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I realized normally when I'm talking about I'm old-timey. I'm also from the 80s. So. You mean you're 85. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I have to do a little disclaimer. I like this thing. What? Okay, your shirt. Okay, uh-huh. uh, everybody, Kristen's got like a cute little collared sleeveless button-up mm-hmm. on today. A little number. It's got these little notches on the top of the shoulders. It's very cute. You know what's funny? They're subtle little notches, and yet you're not the first to compliment me I on really the notches. It is such a subtle little move. Ooh. The top is from Athleta, which means it was overpriced. Uh-huh. And <laughs> so you pay for the little notches. The small details. Well, thank you. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> anyway, my disclaimer. Yeah. This case involves like a metric shit ton of court stuff. It's oh, a lot okay. of, I'm filing this. and yeah. I'm, So, you know, occasionally we will hit the fast forward button. Great. And you're just going to have to I'm deal fine with it. Okay. Okay. Are you ready <laughs> yes. for some next level homophobia? Oh, shit. Really? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. What are we? Oh, we're talking about a good Karen. Okay. Mm-hmm, All mm-hmm. right. I saw a TikTok that says since the Karen thing has mm-hmm. taken off, not one single person has named their child Karen. That can't I didn't be true. fact check that. But, but I mean, it, it'd be wise. I wouldn't yeah. name a kid Karen right yeah. now. Not one single Karen has been born after a certain... You don't want to have your kid to have to spend their whole life proving <laughs> right. that they're not a Karen. Yeah. Although maybe it would force them to be good. Mm. Or maybe mm. it'd be like you name your kid... Manifest Destiny. Rusty, and he has to be a mechanic, right? Like, <laughs> Aren't all Rusty's mechanics? I just thought all Rusty's had red hair. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they're red-headed mechanics. That's right. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so this is going to be a terrible story about homophobia. The reason I'm telling it is someone in the Discord, shit, I didn't write it down. They were like, hey, you know, since you guys are taking off Pride Month, could you all do a themed episode oh, for yeah. like LGBTQ yeah. cases? And I felt like an asshole because I was like, actually, we've stopped doing themed cases because yeah, they're – you can't force it. You it's, can't force yeah, the magic of this right. podcast. That's correct. But I was like, but 
Yes, I will do an LGBTQ case. And here it, it is. is! <laughs> Why'd we both do that? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're in, we're in weird modes. Also, I was like, <laughs> LGBTQ, do you add the IA anymore? I mean, I know we did in I college. Think, Have we it dropped it? LGBTQ plus now? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Could we have looked it up? We sure could. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's the plus. I think it's the plus, too. All right. Reach out. All right. Before we get to the homophobia, I must tell you a love story. Ooh. Picture it. It's the 1970s in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Mm. St. Cloud has a population of about 68,000 people. And yet, it is the 12th biggest city in Minnesota. Okay. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> I'm going to just snot it everywhere. Sorry. I'm just so happy to be here. I am too. St. Cloud is, of course, home to. I don't know. St. Cloud State University. Oh. Go Huskies. Yeah, I'm big Huskies. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where a woman named Karen Thompson worked as a professor of physical education. Karen was very dedicated to her job. She worked long hours. In fact, she says she was a bit of a workaholic. Mm. And she lived her life that way because she noticed that if she fully dedicated herself to her work life, then people wouldn't ask quite as many questions about her personal life. Ooh. Yeah, that's probably a thing people do. That's sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brandy, if that part bums you out. <laughs> <laughs> that really bummed me out. I got bad news for what's ahead. Oh, it gets no. worse than working long hours. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, that was good because Karen's personal life was dangerous. Karen was gay, and in America in the 1970s, that wasn't even remotely okay. Yeah. This was only a few years after the American Psychiatric Association made the radical decision that perhaps being gay wasn't a mental disorder. Neat. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. Did you say it's a very cool, like your Mario? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very cool. <laughs> Being gay is no longer a mental disorder. See, I feel like this is offensive. <laughs> Sorry, Mario. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, Karen was obviously in the closet. But one day, she found love. When Karen was in her early 30s, she had a student named, I know, I know. Okay. I know. I I don't approve either. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like the least problematic part of a terrible story. Okay, great. She had a student named Sharon Kowalski in one of her classes. About a year after that class ended, Sharon came to Karen and asked if she could help with the track team. Their names are Sharon and Karen. I know. It, it was meant to be. Yeah. And Karen said, sure. And over the course of that year, they became good friends. Yeah. And very good Just friends. good friends. Well, maybe things happen <laughs> with your good friend. <laughs> Am I right, Brandy? No. <laughs> How long have you wanted to see under these little flappies, huh? Long ass time. Am I That's right? That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe once we've been friends for 30, 30 years. years. <laughs> yeah, that seems right. So their relationship progressed Slowly, it just sort of happened. Mm-hmm. It was so surprising. 
At least that's the way that Karen described it to CBS back in the day. Honestly, I wonder how much of it is just like you're living in a really homophobic time period yeah. where you can't just be like, hi, I'm gay. Yeah. She was gay. We fell in love. Yeah. Instead, it has to be like, oh. It was nothing I, more than a friendship at I first. always, I wanted nothing more than to marry a man. I was just waiting <laughs> for the right one. Oh, what's this long-term friend? You're innocently holding my hand. And now it's something more. That is how it started. She was like, you yeah. know, Sharon was the type of person she'd like, Grab your hand and be like, "Oh, look at this!" And then all of a sudden, you're just holding hands. Mm. So, I to me, it it reads as I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story the way the soft the straight people can hear it. Yeah, I was trying to pick between soften uh-huh. and straight and people straight and just people. you know just, mixed yeah. them. Soft straight people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, homophobia sucks, <laughs> but so does banging your students. But we have no time <laughs> to worry about that. that. Yeah, when I got to that part of the story, I was like, oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. bad. I don't love that. Anyway, after secretly dating for about two years, Karen and Sharon got married. Okay, married is the term that I'm using. It obviously wasn't a legally binding ceremony because up until quite recently, it was illegal for two women to get married. And that sounds bigoted and terrible, but the truth is that if you let two women get married, then what's to stop two Disney adults from getting married, Brandy? Okay? Okay. It's a slippery slope. That's right. We cannot allow (laughs) Disney adults to get married. It will rip apart the fabric of our society. That's right. All right? Uh Uh Okay. Very good. So Karen and Sharon's ceremony wasn't legally binding, but their relationship was very important to them. Do you think the Disney adults will be mad? Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long time since you riled them up. (laughs) Well, I I heard about that. long enough. (laughs) (laughs) I heard about that Reddit post where, like, the Disney adults had a wedding and they they didn't pay for catering budget on having Mickey and Minnie make an appearance. That might drive me to murder. (laughs) I go to your destination wedding. I see two grown-ass adults in costumes like they're mice, but you don't feed me a a chicken breast. We're considering it. (laughs) Don't you dare. (laughs) Honestly, here's what would happen. Yeah. If on your wedding day you were like, hey, so we decided to do this thing where like – you know, people are people are just gonna you know buy food from local restaurants. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. You know what I would do, honestly. First of all, what do you think I would do? Uh, I don't know what you would do. You would question what brought me to that decision, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you'd you're being too subtle about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think at first you'd try to be polite about it. On your wedding day, no, <laughs> well, no. There's no, There's no time. There's no time. I would so I would tell you I think you've made a mistake, yeah. but there's time to fix it. Yeah, and I would call my mom and I'd call Kyle. Yeah. I'd be like go to Costco, <laughs> go to Costco, bring us whatever they have. <laughs> You're right. That's bring us exactly fifteen what trays of whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have to be good. Yeah, it just, it just has to be food. Yes. <laughs> so anyway. Um, they had this ceremony. They exchanged rings. They bought a cute little house on a lake. It was a ranch. Mm-mm. I like a ranch that overlooks water. Yeah, that's lovely. They took out life insurance policies and named one another as the beneficiaries. 
One of them burped in the middle of a story, which is rude. Ow! I just blew air out of my mouth so fast that my lip, like, <laughs> flapped back and my lip ring hit my gums. <laughs> and people say you're dramatic. <laughs> Why do they say these things? You're, ow! <laughs> do we need to, to stop? No, I think I can I get can. you some work, work, workers comp. <laughs> I think I'm going to be able to push through. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And they say people don't want to work these days. (laughs) Now, here's a story of courage and bravery. (laughs) So at this point, Karen was still a professor at the local college, and Sharon had a job as a physical education teacher at the local high school. So they couldn't risk being out of the closet. They feared that if they were open about their relationship, they might lose their jobs. I mean, which Sharon for sure would have lost her job in the 70s. Or they might be ostracized by their community. So they were very careful about their relationship. That's the nicest thing that Uh, would happen to them. Neither of them came out to their families. They were even careful about paperwork. When they got the house together, they only got it in Karen's name because they figured it might raise eyebrows if they had both their names on the deed. So, you know, for four years, that's how they lived. They lived together essentially as a married couple, Mm -hmm. but for safety reasons, only their close friends knew about their relationship. That seemed like the smartest way to live in a deeply homophobic society. And then came November 13th, 1983. Sharon was driving north to visit her parents. She had her niece and nephew in the car. And as they were going down the road... A drunk driver smashed into their vehicle. Sharon's niece was killed in the crash. Her nephew survived, and so did Sharon. But it was bad. Sharon became a quadriplegic. She couldn't speak. She had partial control of her right hand, and that was it. She'd suffered brain damage. How much brain damage, it was difficult to determine. But the bottom line was that at just 27 years old, Sharon was clinging to life after being in a car crash that took the life of her niece. She was initially in a coma. One source said for five months. Other sources indicate that it was a much shorter period than Mm -hmm. that. But, you know, Sharon's family was, of course, devastated by this accident. And Karen somehow found out about it and dropped everything, went to the hospital. And for hours, she didn't know if Sharon was dead or alive Because she wasn't privy to that information. Yeah. Because they wouldn't share it with her because she wasn't a family member. Right. Yeah. Technically, she had no right to know. Yeah. And no one would tell her what was going on because who was she exactly? Mm Mm-hmm. A really emotional friend? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. So, you know... In the Kowalski's minds, she obviously didn't need to be in the room with Sharon. She didn't need to know everything that was going on with Mm -hmm. Sharon. But Karen wouldn't go away. She eventually got into the room, and she spent a ton of time over the next few days by Sharon's side. And Sharon's family, specifically her dad, Don, and her mom, Della, found Karen's presence really odd. Mm Mm-hmm. Karen knew that Sharon's family lived fairly far away, so she invited them to come stay at the home that she and Sharon shared together. 
And they were like, mm, no, thank you. Finally, Don was just like, you know, he took Karen to the side into an empty waiting room and he essentially told her, hey, whatever she needs from here on out can be provided by family. Family will take care of her. And Karen panicked and she said, well, I am family. I am family. But to the Kowalskis, she wasn't. And their daughter wasn't in a position to tell them otherwise. So the Kowalskis began making plans to move Sharon to a facility like five hours away. Oh, my gosh. And Karen was, of course, distraught. She had to do something. Mm -hmm. So about 10 weeks after the accident, on the advice of a psychologist, Karen decided to tell Sharon's parents the truth. Mm -hmm. She wrote them a letter. And in that letter, Karen, like, very delicately explained that, you know, Sharon needed their love and support, but that maybe she might have grown into a woman who they didn't totally know or understand. And Karen explained their relationship. She said, we go to bed together every night. We wake up to each other every morning. We share hopes. We share dreams. We're, we're a couple. Yeah. This letter did not go over well. Mm -hmm. Don and Della were livid. They decided that Karen was crazy. She was making this all up. Oh, my gosh. Their daughter was not a lesbian. She'd never told them she was a lesbian, and therefore she'd never been a lesbian. Yes, because that's how that works. Right. <sighs> yeah. Ugh. I have seen a show that must have used this as, like, inspiration like a like a hospital like uh -huh. tv show okay. where they did a very similar thing like this is that the end of the story that's the whole story <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was quite good <laughs> thank you for that. so this whole situation <laughs> Do, you need, do I need to tell you again? I watched a show. Whoa. A show I can't be sure what show it was. On the TV. It, on TV. Okay. It was in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the very similar situation. was similar to this You're thinking one. it's perhaps kind of a ripped from the headlines I, situation. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And again, we don't know the TV show. No. We don't know any more about the plot. No, um, I believe it was two men rather than two women. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yep. Well, and that really adds something. You're you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> this whole situation was a mess. Karen began looking into her rights. She discovered that she didn't have any rights. Uh -huh. It was horrible. And to make things more complicated, over time it became very clear that Sharon needed Karen. Because according to Dr. Keith Larson, who was Sharon's neurologist. You know why that is? Because Sharon is Karen. <laughs> My God. You know, people say you interrupt too much, but they're obviously wrong. wrong. <laughs> I mean, that there, that's a real thinker. That is. That's like Dick's Insider. <laughs> you know, some people, they'll be going months down the road and all of a sudden, oh, my God, Sharon is Karen. I get it. I get it. Hat tip to Brandy. 
Anyway, may we move on? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the doctor said that Don Kowalski came weekend after weekend to visit Sharon. But Don had, quote, so much difficulty understanding that there was life there. Mm -hmm. He would visit Sharon almost as if he was visiting a corpse in a funeral. Oh, my gosh. That's what the doctor said. He didn't seem to understand that his daughter was disabled and, yeah, she'd suffered some brain damage, Mm -hmm. but she was still there. But Karen didn't have trouble understanding that. When Karen was with Sharon, she worked with her. She helped her with rehab. She discovered that, quote, there was a human being inside of there, trapped in a body that wasn't working very well. But Sharon was there. Mm Mm-hmm. Over time, Karen helped Sharon learn to communicate using a letter board and eventually a typewriter. Karen helped Sharon with reading, math problems, flexibility, exercise, and Sharon made progress. Yeah. She was able to communicate. Her short-term memory had been pretty badly damaged, but she knew who Karen was. She could communicate that she and Karen were in a relationship. Yeah. But Don and Della were uncomfortable. They didn't want Karen around their daughter. And they kept talking about moving Sharon to a nursing home about five hours away. Oh, my gosh. So in a panic, Karen filed for guardianship of Sharon. And Don Kowalski counterfiled Mm -hmm. for guardianship. And in April of 1984, the two parties reached an agreement outside of court. They agreed that Don would be Sharon's guardian, but Karen would be able to visit a ton and she'd have an equal say in all of Sharon's medical care. It seemed like a good arrangement. Mm, On the surface. Mm. Mm. You remember that TV show. It didn't didn't end well, did it? Um, I can't remember. I mean, it would have been a pretty boring TV show if it was just like, yep, things are equal. Life is good. (laughs) Yeah, so the thing is that once Don became Sharon's guardian, he had way more control than Karen did. And this is when things got really ugly. Over the next few years, Karen and Sharon's parents went to court several times. I realize that sounds like Karen's parents and Sharon's parents went to court several times. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) Do you understand what Sharon I'm, went to court with Karen's parents no, several times? No, Sharon is is the I'm one sorry. who was in the accident. Karen, you're just really I apologize. <laughs> Karen went to court against Sharon's parents several times. There you go. I got it. You got it. Bing bang boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, for this seat, oh, I really did. I'm. The, <laughs> I know you were doing clarification kind of uh-huh. as a joke, but I really was confused for like half a second. I was like, what are Karen's parents doing there? <laughs> Boy, just everyone got involved in this, didn't they? It's nice when everyone's Karen, am I right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, you know, for the sake of speed and clarity, we're going to montage this yeah. a bit. Essentially... Um, and this is me talking a little. Yeah. Uh, what Don and Della wanted was for their daughter to not have been gay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if they could keep Karen out of Sharon's life, then maybe they could keep up the fantasy that Sharon had never been in love with a woman. So that's what they did. Yeah. In court, their position was that Sharon was not gay. Karen was crazy and she was a bad influence on Sharon. And worst of all, she was a sexual predator. Okay. Yeah. 
Their family physician, William Wilson, wrote a letter to the court saying that, quote, Visits by Karen Thompson at this time would expose Sharon Kowalski to a high risk of sexual abuse. What? Yeah. I just will never understand the line of thinking that, like, somehow gay people are just, like, sex, 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 sex all the time. Well, not even sex, sex, sex. It's, like... Assault. It's yes, not, it's yeah, like, it's not even it's, just, oh, great, yes. this person can't really consent to me, can't yeah. move. Yeah. Now's my chance. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. The Kowalskis, I, I think this is interesting. They also argued that after Karen visited her, Sharon was often depressed. So I guess she can't visit anymore. I, that seemed weird to me. Yeah. Um. Anyway... In a legal sense, Karen was totally screwed Mm -hmm. because they couldn't be legally married. She essentially had no rights, but Sharon did have rights. Sharon could communicate her wishes. And okay, this is where it gets even more fucked up because Sharon did communicate via the letterboard and typewriter that she and Karen were lovers. She communicated that she wanted to live with Karen in St. Cloud. And, of course, that's what Karen wanted, too. She didn't want Sharon to be in a nursing home. She wanted to take Sharon home and care for her. Mm -hmm. At the very least, she wanted her to be in a place that specialized in brain injury treatment. She didn't want her to be in a nursing home where she wouldn't be getting a lot of rehabilitative care. Did I say that word properly? Rehabilitative? Rehabilitative? Yeah. All right. So tell me I'm smart. You're so smart. (laughs) Thank you. I know. Um, Anyway. (laughs) So she could communicate, but for years in court, Sharon's voice was totally lost. The Kowalskis indicated that Sharon was essentially a child. She couldn't reliably give her opinion on anything. Wow. Yeah. That sucks. To me... I mean, there's obviously a lot of scary stuff about this case. To me, this is the scariest, that Sharon can communicate. But she's not being allowed to even advocate advocate for her own. Well, and her parents are basically saying that because she's – their line usually was like because she's in diapers, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't have control. Control of – yeah. Of their – you know – what am I looking for? I've, I mean, they don't have control of that, but that doesn't mean that you get to make all decisions yeah, for them. No. Wow. So that was their position, and the court believed them. Attorney Ugh. Brian O'Neill was asked by the Minnesota Civil Liberties Union to represent Sharon in 1985. And he said that looking back to him, he was fighting for Sharon's fundamental right to surround herself with who she wanted to surround herself mm-hmm. with. But the court saw it as, does a dad have the right to protect his daughter from a predatory lesbian? And guess what the court decided? Yeah. On July 25th, 1985, Don got a court order terminating Karen's visitation rights. Great. The court granted Don unconditional guardianship. And Don moved Sharon to a nursing home way the fuck away in Hibbing, Minnesota. Sharon's parents restricted her visitors. They censored her mail. Basically, anyone who had any connection to Karen was not allowed to visit. So Mm -hmm. Sharon was cut off from 
all her friends, yeah. her community. Yeah. Karen had advocated for Sharon to be in a rehabilitation facility. She wanted her to be, as I said, in a place that specialized in brain injuries. Mm-hmm. But in the nursing home where the Kowalskis placed Sharon, she didn't have access to an electric wheelchair. She didn't have access to a typewriter. And she was essentially confined to a bed. For three years, Karen and Sharon were not allowed to see one another. That is horrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. Pause for your thoughts. Oh, I'm... I don't even know. I don't know what my thoughts are. Just that these parents, like, had their daughter legally declared not a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And it was... And that was the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. More important than literally anything. Anything else. Yeah. Yeah, so, whew, I felt some emotions Yeah, looking into this one just because, you know, initially, when she's in that car wreck, they've just lost their granddaughter. Yeah. Their daughter has been in this horrible accident. It, accident, it would be terrible. And then you find out, oh, we didn't know her mm-hmm. the way we thought. We knew her. Now, I would submit that the proper way to feel about that is sad that your daughter didn't feel like she could come to you and be honest yes. about who she is. Yes. You know, that's on That's on you. That's something yes. for you. Now, that's obviously not how they took it. But, you know, I thought it was interesting because Karen talked about those early days. Yeah. And she was like, you know, I understand this is a shock if they need to take some time. Great. Right. Take all the time you need. But don't let it interfere with Sharon's care. No. Don't let it hurt her. No. And that's where they piss me off is they let it hurt their daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I don't know. I think we all know some of these parents. Oh, yeah. Who who have gay kids and it's like, okay, how does everyone else know? But you're pretending you're mm-hmm. surprised. Really? You thought yeah. she was a woman in her late 20s who'd been living with a woman for four years? Mm-hmm. And they were just like super close roommates? Yeah. All right, Don. Anyway, I feel weird shitting on a dad who's been through some shit. But <laughs> <laughs> See that? I go back and forth. Yeah. So, you know, they went three years where they couldn't see each other, and it was devastating. But Karen refused to give up. She later said... They couldn't deal with the fact that their daughter was in a relationship with me. And if they could shut me out of Sharon's life, they didn't have to deal with it. I understand that this is difficult for them, that it's hard for them, but my patience with them ends when it hurts Sharon. Mm -hmm. Karen fought this thing at every level that she could. She filed appeals at the local level, the federal level. Her argument was that the guardianship should be revoked and that Sharon wasn't getting access to the kind of treatment that would help her improve mentally and physically. But she lost. She lost again and again and again. And the court continued to side with Sharon's biological family. The courts refused to acknowledge the reality of Sharon and Karen's relationship. In fact, one court referred to Karen as Sharon's former roommate. Oh, my gosh. Give me a fucking break. 
But the process made Karen pretty brave. She'd never been an activist and she'd been very fiercely private and protective about her sexuality. But she realized that if she was going to save Sharon, she needed to go public with their story. So she did. She became a public speaker because what was happening to her and Sharon was essentially every gay couple's worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. And it was playing out all over the country because of the AIDS epidemic where all of a sudden people were getting really sick or they were dying and their partners had no rights. Yeah. So the case of Sharon Kowalski's guardianship was important to gay rights groups, but it was also important to disability groups because it was so alarming that Sharon wasn't being listened to. Yeah. That, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You um, already know how I feel about uh, what? The timing of this is actually perfect because it's actually July is Disability Pride Month. So Are you ever, shitting me? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I planned it. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I have a, a very good client of mine who is a wheelchair user, and she posts about you know, oh. disability pride and stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, there yeah. you go, folks. Yeah. <laughs> it's us bringing you the timely stuff <laughs> in these cases from the 80s. That's right. <laughs> So in an interview with CBS, Jan Goldman, an attorney for the ACLU, said that one of the problems with this case was that Sharon was initially portrayed to the court as like an infant in diapers uh-huh. and mentally yeah. at that stage. She said that one of the saddest things in this case was that Sharon could have come into court early on and made it very clear mm-hmm. what she wanted. Yeah. So Jan interviewed Sharon and she said that Sharon answered all of her questions, you know, just as anyone would, but obviously much slower because she was using a typewriter and only had, you know, partial control of one hand. So the interview took all day. But Jan asked what Sharon's relationship was to Karen Thompson and Sharon typed gay. Mm -hmm. And Jan said, "Okay, what does that mean to you? What does that word mean to you? Gay can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And Sharon typed, we love each other. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So Karen began sharing their story with anyone who would listen. And a lot of people listened. In 1988, Karen was the marshal of the Pride Parade in New York, and she was the keynote speaker at a gay rights rally in Washington. She told their story very well. She urged gay couples to write wills and draw up powers of attorney so that if anything happened to their partner, they would have rights to their shared property and they'd have a say in medical decisions. Mm -hmm. She helped organize the National Free Sharon Kowalski Day on August 7th, 1988. And there were processions in 21 cities across the nation advocating for Sharon's rights. Wow. Yeah. The fight for Sharon's rights had been expensive, But by talking about it publicly, Karen managed to fundraise more than $100,000 in legal fees. And uh, that humiliated the Kowalski Uh family. Don contended that Karen just wanted money. This whole lesbian thing was for money. Obviously, because it would be so worth it to (laughs) put yourself out dangerously out there as a public lesbian. Right. Yeah. Right. It'd be so Just fun. rolling in dough. Uh-huh. To pay your legal fees. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, you, you've already had sure, a bunch sure. of... Uh, yeah. In an interview, Don was asked if he ever asked Sharon if she wanted to see Karen. And he said, you know, there's times she says yes and times she says no. His take on it was that, quote, in her condition, 
Sharon would be happy to see anybody. Okay. About the relationship, he said, quote, Sharon never told us about it, so I don't feel as though I should have to believe what a school teacher is telling me over my daughter that I trusted. Okay. Yeah, it's like, first of all, she's a professor. Yeah. So don't – let's get that correct. And also, your daughter can still tell you. Yes. Over my daughter that I trusted, past tense. Yeah. Your daughter is still there. Yep. In that same interview, he also said, quote, Who comes first when there isn't a marriage? If there's a marriage, that's a different story. I'm married because I've got a marriage license and it's legal. So this is what bothers me about having to go to court all the time is there's nothing legal. Because it can't be. Mm-hmm. Not because they didn't want it to be. Right. To me, that's that- the dumbest fucking argument. You know, I don't think it is the dumbest argument, but I think it says a lot that he's trying to make these two arguments at the same time. The argument of they were never in a relationship, Uh but also it's not legal. Yeah. And to me, it's like, okay, you kind of get to pick one. Yeah. Because to me, it's a, the fact that you're bringing that second one up says that you do know they, you were, do in know they were in a relationship. And Absolutely. you know you're losing on that battle. So yeah. now you're changing to, well, what they had wasn't legal. So. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Well, the only thing I mean by being the dumbest fucking argument, you mm-hmm. can't argue that it's not legal when there's no way for it to have been legal. It's illegal. At this time, it was illegal for Mm -hmm. them to be married. They could not have a legal marriage. So Mm -hmm. for you to argue that they had no legal relationship because they couldn't fucking have a legal relationship. Mm -hmm. Not because of lack of wanting a legal relationship. Yeah. I don't like this guy. I mean, I get these. I know. I know. See, that's that's why it's hard. It's like (laughs) you don't. <laughs> you okay? I am. Sorry. I got you I, a little I choked up. I did. I did. I got worked up. <sighs> May I tell you something that really turned this ship around for me? Sure. <laughs> so, you know, I was really battling with how I was feeling because it's like, all right, this guy's been through some shit. Yeah. But ultimately, I think he's being horrible. Horrible to his daughter, horrible all around. treating his daughter like a person. No. No. Yeah. He's actively denying what is clearly in front of his Mm -hmm. face. Um, So, you know, I was dealing with this stuff. And you know I mean. I get on newspapers.com. I'm looking up the old articles. In one article in the 80s, he talked about – his quote was something like – you know, in the army, we called them queers and fruits, not gays and lesbians – yeah. So that that tells you a lot about his mindset, okay. doesn't it? Yeah, it sure yeah. does. So that's that's when I got on the choo-choo Don Kowalski <laughs> sex train. <laughs> All aboard! <laughs> what? <laughs> we can't both be the conductor. <laughs> I'll be the guy who hangs off the end. Oh, yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... By this point, by the way, does that do it for you too? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, good God, dude. Yeah. You okay? Here's the thing. 
picturing London in this scenario. Yeah. She's got someone in her life mm-hmm. who cares this much about yeah. her, wants to be with her. Yeah. You And you say no? No. Yeah. You fight that? Yeah. Wouldn't you think that at a time like this you would need all the support and yeah. love for your child yes. possible? Yes. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. The homophobia is fierce. Yes, it is. <laughs> so by this point, Karen had lost twice in the Court of Appeals, and she tried to get the Minnesota Supreme Court to review the case, but the court was like, no, thank you. So Karen's attorney, M. Sue Wilson, which I don't like it when people go by just an initial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Confuses me. Yeah, yeah. What do you call them? <laughs> M? Hey, M. Or you call them Sue? I don't – see, that's, that's my think, problem. OK. Hold on. What? You got it? Do you think she chose to go by the name Sue because she's a lawyer? <laughs> God, that is so <laughs> Yes. Yes, I do. First name Mary, but then middle name Sue. And she's like, well, now that I'm in this profession, people are going to remember me more. Right. And then she gets those – she gets like little business cards uh-huh. that are like real cute because they're like, yeah. want to sue somebody? Call Sue. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so M. Sue Wilson was like, OK, we got to look at the guardianship statute, um, even though I <laughs> called it a statue in these <laughs> Let's gaze upon. The gaze upon the statue. statue. <laughs> Oh, no, it's held up by an old Confederate guy. (laughs) (laughs) The good thing about (laughs) that statute was that it kind of allowed you to try again and again and again. Uh And Karen was nothing if not determined. The statute – I can't unsee statute. I'm sorry. (laughs) The statute dictated that the ward's preference should determine the guardian. Wow. Imagine that. Yeah, weird. Amazing. So the court needed to take into account what the ward wanted, what the ward needed, and the guardian's abilities. Yeah. Mm, Goodness gracious. So then the legal strategy becomes baby steps. Can we get an order of it? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm a little happy to be here again. I, I can't know. stress that. <laughs> Can we get an order for visitation? The answer was yes. And that was a big deal. By that point, like I said, Karen and Sharon hadn't seen each other in like three years. Sharon had assumed that Karen had left her. Fuck! Right? Yeah, of, of course. course she did. Of course she did. Her mail was being censored, so she she had no way of knowing all of her visitors were being censored, so anyone with connections to Karen wasn't allowed to visit her. Shit. So, yeah, she thought she'd just been abandoned. That is fucking terrible. So when Karen walked into her room, they both cried. They'd been through such a fucked up time, being told that their relationship had never been real. So Karen said to Sharon, I need to know what you think of me before I pursue this fight further. And Sharon spelled out the word lover. So Karen kept fighting. They went to court again, trying to get approval for experts to reassess Sharon's mental ability. And a judge agreed. But Sharon's parents were pissed. 
Their attorney, Jack Fina, tried to block the court-ordered tests by arguing that those tests would be harmful to Sharon. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the testing would take place at a different facility over a period of like 60 days. They wanted to be very thorough. Uh, so he argued that that would be hard on Sharon, and he also argued that the tests were unnecessary. He told the New York Times, quote, if you get your leg cut off, how many doctors must tell you that your leg is cut off? Okay, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about her cognitive abilities. Right. Yeah. And that's extremely important. Absolutely. Because we need to determine if this person can make a decision about Ab- where they want to live and Absolutely. who they want to see. Are, do you not get that? Yeah. Jack ass. <laughs> <laughs> that was original comedy from me to you. <laughs> you know, I, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't think that I stole that from a more talented person, did you? <laughs> In that same article, Karen told the New York Times that Sharon was not the person that her parents were making her out to be. She said, I taught Sharon to type. I helped her with reading, writing, math problems, short-term memory skills, with flexibility and exercise. To listen to them, you would think we're talking about a totally helpless, incompetent patient who could not possibly express her wishes. Mm -hmm. She said, I made a commitment to Sharon. Sharon may have limitations, but those only make her different than she was before, not less. I still think we could have a good life together. Mm-hmm. In the midst of all this, Sharon's parents were facing their own problems. This had been an expensive legal battle, and they couldn't really afford it anymore. On top of that, Don was still Sharon's legal guardian, but he was getting older, and I believe they said he had two heart attacks. Uh-huh. And so in late 1988, Don Kowalski decided that he could no longer be his daughter's guardian. So he petitioned the court to be removed as Sharon's guardian. Karen obviously caught wind of this and was like, all right, you know, if he doesn't want to be guardian, that's great. I want to be Sharon's legal guardian. So Karen petitioned the court once again to be Sharon's guardian. And it should have been a slam dunk, but it wasn't. Because around this time, an old family friend of the Kowalskis named Karen Tomberlin reached out to Sharon's attorney. And she was like, hey, I want to testify against Karen Thompson becoming Sharon's guardian. She also submitted a letter to the court being like, hey, maybe I should be guardian. It wasn't ever anything super official. She never went through all the hoops that Karen Thompson had to jump through to prove that she would be a good guardian. She was just a lady saying, hey, why not me? Which under any other circumstance might be inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) So there were all these evidentiary hearings and Karen's legal team called 16 medical witnesses who had all been caring for Sharon. So these were neutral people. Yeah. And everyone was like, yes, Sharon reliably says that she wants to be with Karen. And she's making good progress in her recovery with Karen. Karen is super involved in her care. They explain that Sharon could be stubborn about doing her rehab. She could be resistant about getting her mouth and teeth cleaned. But Karen always found a way to motivate Sharon. Sharon trusted Karen. She allowed Karen to clean her teeth and mouth. Mm -hmm. After evaluating Sharon for four months, Sharon's doctor wrote a letter to the court that said, We believe Sharon Kowalski has shown areas of potential and ability to make rational choices in many areas of her life, and she has consistently indicated a desire to return home. And by that, 
she means to St. Cloud to live with Karen Thompson again. Whether that is possible is still uncertain as her care will be difficult and burdensome. We think she deserves the opportunity to try. Mm-hmm. The medical experts testified that their long-term goal for Sharon was for her to live her life outside of an institution. But in order for that to happen, someone would have to have the desire and ability to care for her. I mean, it would be a lot of work. Yeah. But Karen wanted to do it. Yeah. And she'd already built a fully handicap-accessible house. Wow. She was doing the work. She was ready. Yeah. She'd been allowed to take Sharon home for weekend visits. They'd done great. But in court, Sharon's sister, Deborah, testified. And then a friend of the family's testified. And then Karen Tomberlin, the other family friend, also testified. None of these three people had visited Karen very frequently in recent years. None of them had any medical training. But that didn't stop them from saying they were pretty sure Karen Thompson should not be appointed as Sharon's legal guardian. Cool. Yeah. Their logic was that Sharon's short-term memory had been so badly damaged that she couldn't reliably make that kind of decision. Mm-hmm. The medical staff, you know, yeah. decided otherwise, but... Right. But these three... But these three homophobes have decided... Yeah. <laughs> Sharon's, They're pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon's sister said that if Karen Thompson was named Sharon's legal guardian, her parents would stop visiting Sharon. Okay, that makes me so fucking angry. Yeah. Because that to me, that doesn't say what you think it no. says. To me, it says we are pieces of shit. Uh-huh. Would there be a situation where you would be like, well, I'm done with London? No. Yeah, exactly. Never. Yeah. Never. But they're saying, oh, if this person is named Guardian, we're just done with our kid. For the record, Karen didn't want that. She was like, that's really not necessary. I can facilitate visits. I don't even have to be there. Maybe Karen Tomberlin could drive Sharon to visit her parents sometimes. I don't want Sharon to be alienated from her family. Uh, Worth noting, none of these people who were against Karen Thompson were saying, oh, I want to take Sharon home with me. In fact, they all said they couldn't. Karen Tomberlin, the one who was like, oh, I should be guardian, was like, no, I can't take her home with me, but I would like to supervise her needs while she is in an institution. Mm Mm-hmm. They couldn't really argue that Karen Thompson would be a bad guardian based on how she'd actually interacted with Sharon. So they had to take a different tactic. They argued that Karen had humiliated everyone by outing Sharon as a lesbian. Yeah, bringing all that lesbian shit into this. Yeah. She'd violated her right to privacy. So... Thoughts, Brandy? Thoughts? I mean, she was forced to. Exactly. They left her no choice. Yeah. This is not someone who wanted to be outed. No. You forced her to. Well, and she had to out herself. Right. Right along with it. Right. And if you'd just been cool about it... Then the whole world probably wouldn't have known. No fucking shit! (laughs) Right? So whose fault is that? Oh, my gosh. 
They also pointed out that in the three-year period when Sharon and Karen legally couldn't see each other, Karen had started seeing someone new. And that was true, and Karen was honest about it. She talked about it on the stand. She talked about it in the media. She told the New York Times, I said on the stand that two and a half years after being away from Sharon, I decided to leave myself open to other relationships. Sharon comes home with me all the time, and some of that time the other person is there. She really likes the person I'm with and has never asked. The system separated us for three and a half years, and we became strangers. For Sharon, I will always be what I was years ago. She can never know me as I am today, but I will love her for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really sad. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that relationship in a bit. I imagine stuff of that nature happens all the time. Yeah. And it's only being questioned here because they're gay. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times someone can be in a life-altering accident like this and you maintain a loving caregiver relationship mm-hmm. with them without it being a romantic relationship. I think right. relationships transition. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think there's – you can't ignore the fact that like she didn't know how long they were going to no. be separated. So Karen Thompson was the person that Sharon wanted to be with. Karen Thompson was the only person that had the means and desire to care for Sharon at home. Mm-hmm. Karen Thompson was the person that all the medical experts agreed was the best person to take care of Sharon. And so in April of 1991, a St. Louis County District Court judge awarded Karen Tomberlin guardianship of Sharon Kowalski. A uh-huh. fucking course they did. Yeah. Want to hear why? It's all solid logic. Don't okay, worry. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in his – ew, lesbians. Right. <laughs> That's just what the opinions. <laughs> In his ruling, Judge Robert Campbell compared Sharon Kowalski to a child with divorcing parents who were fighting over her. Uh, no. Yeah. You missed it, buddy. Yeah. She is absolutely not a child. No. Holy shit. What child is like? Yeah, this is my lover, and I would like to go home and live with them. Yeah. The judge concluded that Karen Tomberlin was a neutral choice, and that's why she was the right way to go. Okay. The judge also concluded that it was in Sharon's best interest to be cared for in a facility and that Karen Thompson, as just one person, couldn't be her sole provider of care. Which was an interesting argument because it went against all of the opinions of the medical staff Mm -hmm. who had said that Sharon could be cared for at home and that Karen was absolutely equipped to be Sharon's caregiver. You know, and she'd obviously wouldn't be the only person, but she'd be the point person and that, that would be okay. The judge acknowledged that for the previous two years when asked where she wanted to live, Sharon consistently said in St. Cloud with Karen. He also noted that Karen had been committed and devoted to Sharon's welfare. But he said that Karen had violated Sharon's privacy by outing her to her parents and the rest of the world. And he said that the court needed to consider the fact that Karen now had another domestic partnership. Okay. Why? Why the fuck? Why? 
you've got someone who cares deeply about this person mm-hmm. who wants to help them and take care of them. Yeah. You've got their chosen family right yeah. there. You've got the person saying, this is who I want to be with. Right. What the fuck difference does it make to you that Karen has a new girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, it's because of you, lesbians. Right. Sorry. Forgot. (laughs) This is infuriating. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a really (laughs) shitty case. It's terrible. (laughs) The verdict was a slap in the face, obviously. At the time, the executive director of the Lambda Legal Defense Fund called the judge's decision, quote, a deep offense not only to all lesbians and gay men, but to all Americans who choose their partners and households by their own terms and not the legal rules imposed by society. Mm-hmm. He said, the idea of neutrality does not apply in any other area of family law. Sharon chose her family, but the judge doesn't agree, so he imposed his own vision on her. Yeah, why would you need a neutral yeah, third that makes party? No, no sense. I mean, she's not neutral is one thing. But yeah. also, again, you've got someone who loves and cares for this person. Yeah. The other person feels the exact same way. Why? I, I mean, to use the divorcing parents analogy, that'd be like saying, oh, never mind. We're not going to give the child to either parent. Right. We're going to put them in foster care. That's an interesting point. Yes. Yeah, because it's got to be neutral. Yeah. Nothing better than neutral. I say. (laughs) That is ridiculous. Yeah. What happens next? Karen appealed the decision. Mm -hmm. And thank God she did. Not just for her and Sharon's sake, but for everyone's. Because in December of 1991, the Minnesota Court of Appeals found that the district court had abused its discretion. The appellate court said that the district court should have listened to the opinions of actual medical experts. I mean, no fucking duh. Yeah. Who had all made it clear that Karen Thompson was overwhelmingly suitable to be Sharon's guardian. The appellate court also took issue with the district judge likening Sharon to a child. They wrote, quote, all of the medical testimony established that Sharon has the capacity to reliably express a preference in this case. And she has clearly chosen to return home with Thompson if possible. This choice is further supported by the fact that Thompson and Sharon are a family of affinity, which ought to be accorded respect. Yeah. Okay, so that last line, Uh a family of affinity, which ought to be accorded respect, was groundbreaking. Yeah. And with that, Karen Thompson was named Sharon Kowalski's guardian. Oh, my gosh. This case was a major victory. And it's how, in 1992... Nearly 10 years after the drunk driving accident, Sharon Kowalski finally got to come home. Oh, my gosh. Things were obviously different than they had been. Of course. As it had been pointed out in court, Karen had begun a new relationship with a woman named Patty Bresser, who was also a professor at St. Cloud State University. Karen had really agonized over falling in love with Patty, but Patty said she understood that Karen and Sharon were a package deal. So for the rest of their lives, the three women took care of one another. Wow. With help from Karen and Patty, Sharon improved tremendously. Fifteen years after the accident, she stood for the first time using a special stand. Oh, my gosh. Twenty-three years after the accident, she spoke for the first time. 
Their home, which Karen built in 1989, is in Clearwater, Minnesota, and it's basically perfect for Sharon. Everything's accessible, and over the years, they filled the home with equipment to help with Sharon's care. They hired a personal care assistant to help during the day. There was a lot that needed to be done. Yeah. Sharon needs to be fed by a feeding tube every two hours, and at night she needs to be turned every two and a half hours. And Karen and Patty did it. This went on for like 25 years. Mm-hmm. The three women shared a home until approximately 2015 when Karen and Patty got to the point that they needed more help with Sharon. Mm-hmm. So as of this article that came out in 2018, Sharon now lives in an adult foster program. And every few weeks she comes home for like a spa day and mm-hmm. they get a haircut. Uh, she gets a bath and a massage. The three women travel a lot together. They consider themselves a family. Mm-hmm. And in that article that was being written for a Minnesota lawyer in 2018, the three women were preparing to go to Branson to celebrate Sharon's 62nd birthday. Oh, very exciting, Uh Branson. (laughs) Over the years, Karen and Sharon have received awards from the National Organization for Women and the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force and the Feminist Majority Foundation for their incredible courage throughout their legal battle. Looking back on their struggle, Karen said, We thought that as long as we kept our personal lives separate from our professional lives, we'd be safe. We didn't understand that as long as we're invisible, we're vulnerable. And that's the story of Sharon Kowalski. Wow. That was a tough one. Yeah. I can't imagine. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so this case was huge for... The rights of disabled people, huge for gay and lesbian couples. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's a big one. Yeah. And it's outrageous that the right thing was so clearly in front of everybody. Exactly. The entire time. It was never a mystery. Whew. Ricky, I have birthday presents for you. Keep them to yourself. What? <laughs> Not until we celebrate. We're top golfing it up someday. Um, my husband texted you. I know. And we, David, we never responded because we're assholes. Radio silence. <laughs> and Norman hasn't stopped crying. I've got your presence. You don't want your presence. No, I want to do it when we celebrate. All right, fine. <laughs> So antsy. They're not even wrapped, so I really – I should really calm down. I'm just excited. I took a bit of a swing. I don't know if it's going to be a it's miss. Gonna, it's going to be wonderful. You know it. No, it might not be. What if it's a Daffy Duck thong and you wanted the Donald Duck thong? Exactly. <laughs> you went Warner Brothers and I'm all Disney all the way. What would you do? Would you? I would politely accept my Daffy Duck thong. Would you pretend it's what you always wanted? Uh, no, I would think I'd make a joke about what a weird present it was. And you'd see the devastation on my face. <laughs> There's no way you would buy that for me, genuinely thinking it was what I've wanted all my life. Okay, let me, let me think of <laughs> what I could do that might... Might conceivably be, like, really sweet, but also a total miss. What if 
I somehow found the frog poster <laughs> that you, <laughs> you used to have. And I got you a new frog poster. Uh-huh. You got it really nicely framed. Yes, very nicely uh-huh. framed. Clearly, I mean, yeah. we dropped some moolah cha-cha on, yeah. this, on uh-huh. this. What do you do? I would graciously accept it. What would you do with it? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mm. Okay, so it's kind of a mystery. Does it go in the living room? Does it go in the kitchen? Yeah, all right. I'll let you decide. Okay, very good. All right, let's talk about some shitty fucking friends. Good Lord, Brandy. You come in here with your murder talk. That's right. Watched a new program (laughs) on ID. Of course. Called Murder Among Friends. No. No. What? Okay. Yeah, never never seen that one before, never heard of it before, but I did watch an episode of it. Most of this comes from that and from an article for Medium by Nicole Henley, also Wikipedia. I actually stumbled upon this case on Ouch. Wikipedia. <laughs> Sorry. I was actually reading about a different case, uh-huh. not related to this case in any way, but then at the bottom it did like that – you might also be interested hey, in... Hey, weirdo, yeah, you might also like It was just like, like a name, and I was like, oh, is that something to do with this case? And so I clicked it, and no, it had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. And then I couldn't stop reading about this case that I'm now doing. And so that other case, psh, Goodbye. get out of here. Yeah, we don't even remember it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to do that other one, too. Okay. It's really creeped me out. But <laughs> Ew, does it involve kids? Anyway. Um, oh, damn it. <sighs> Anyway, so shout-outs to the Murder Among Friends and Nicole Henley for Medium and Wikipedia, who has all the court stuff kind of neatly ch- chunked up wow. together. Kind of, you gave like an hourglass figure, like a sexy. Wikipedia is hot. Wiki- <laughs> <laughs> is that your site that someone else walks into the room? You have to quickly. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> For Rachel, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get to the story. Jason Sweeney wasn't on maybe the most traditional path, but he knew what he wanted out of life and he was working to make it happen. Jason's dream was to become a Navy SEAL, and he felt that to have the best chance at that, he needed to attend a military academy. Specifically, Valley Forge Military Academy and College in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, you familiar with it? Yeah. All right. All right. So, Jason applied and was accepted, but he couldn't afford the tuition. So, Jason did something bold to help him kind of get set on a course to realize his dreams. At age 16, Jason dropped out of public high school and began working for his dad, Paul, full-time at the small construction company he owned in Philadelphia. To save up enough money to go to to, to military school. Yeah, The Sweeney family lived in Fishtown, which is a blue-collar neighborhood in Philadelphia that was named in honor of Kristen's vagina. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) You bitch. <laughs> you you had me. You had me. I was like named in honor of what? <laughs> A fish. <laughs> I'll have you know mine always smells freshly caught. <laughs> 
Anyway, the Sweeney family was very close. Jason had a 15-year-old sister named Melissa, and his mother Dawn worked as, as a bank tail. A bank tailor? A bank teller, actually. That's where she tailors the pants of the (laughs) bankers. By the way, how early are you getting accepted into military school? Like, you said he was 16? He's 16. And he'd already been accepted? Yeah. So you can do high school in military school. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, it's like a, that one was like a high school, college kind of crossover situation. So he wanted to finish up high school there, start kind of a college career, and then join the Navy. I gotcha. It seems that the family really supported Jason in following his dreams. They were behind him, kind of taking a break from school for a little bit, working up, saving the money. And by May of 2003, Jason was doing really well working for his dad. He was making like $500 a week. And as I mentioned, he was trying to save that up to put it towards tuition. And he'd gotten all muscly from the manual labor he was doing at the construction Please job. don't be creepy I about this teenage boy. I feel weird saying boy. it, but you on should, the show, mm-hmm. his sister specifically said it. So, Well, if his sister told you that my vagina smelled like fish <laughs> She <laughs> did tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hurtful that this is now coming from more than one person. <laughs> anyway, the ladies were starting to notice Jason and his... Yeah, including his sister. My, ew. Well, I, you, you mean, said it. She said it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they were noticing his muscles. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Jason took a liking to one girl in particular, Justina Morley. Justina was 15 and cute and into Jason. She was also, according to this show that I watched... What? Why are you being weird? ...into role-playing games and dressing up like a sorceress and running through the woods, casting spells to each their own. Uh-oh. Now you're going to get I know. The, the last mail. time I got judgy about this, people mm-hmm. got very riled up. Do not worry, nerds. I have my own nerdy things. They are just of a different species. It's fine. She's judging you, everyone, and I, I won't stand for it because I'm not judgy at all. So it's just like it's so like offensive that Brandy is anti-RPGs. <laughs> it's just not my thing. Right, right. And you know what? When things aren't my thing, I don't judge. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Like, hey, to each their own, you know. But you, you're judging. <laughs> anyway. You're saying stuff like a Disney adult shouldn't get married ever. <laughs> There should be a law against it. (gasps) What if that's the legacy of this podcast? We get federal legislation. (laughs) Two Disney adults can't marry. I'd be happy if we could just make make weddings at Disney World illegal. (laughs) That would would bring me joy. Oh, no. How many times have you watched that TikTok of that couple being like shut down while they're doing a proposal at Disney? I've not. You haven't seen that? No. Oh my god. Oh my god, there's like a guy proposing to his girlfriend at Disney World, like in front of Cinderella's castle. Uh-huh. And like they're in an area they're not supposed to be in, and they get like <laughs> the proposal gets totally interrupted and they get told they have to move. Okay, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't. Now I would love to watch that. But I don't I feel like, you know, once someone is down on he one was, knee, he was yeah, down on one knee. then give give the person a minute, right? I mean, how long is a proposal gonna take? 
Why anyway. don't why don't they why don't they want you to propose at Disney? I don't know. Maybe fucking Woody was walking through. I don't know. <laughs> Woody is anti Disney adults. <laughs> He's like, this is for kids. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. <laughs> Toward the end of May 2003, Jason confided in his mom that he'd met a girl he really liked, Justina. They'd been dating for a couple of weeks by this point, and he said she was super cute and sweet, and he couldn't wait to introduce her to the family. Unfortunately, that was an introduction Jason would never be able to make. On the evening of May 30th, 2003, Jason left his family's row house in Fishtown, to meet Justina for a date, and he never returned home. His family reported him missing, and the police reached out to Justina Morley along with some of Jason's other friends, and they kind of all said the same thing, that he was supposed to meet them that night, but he never showed up. They'd never seen him. The Sweeney's were— So they didn't admit to the murder right away? (laughs) No, they sure didn't. The Sweeney's were obviously distraught. Jason wouldn't just not come home. They knew something horrible must have happened to him, and they were right. A short time after Jason was reported missing, I'm pretty sure it was like the very next day, mm-hmm. but it's a bit unclear. It's kind of reported different ways yeah. in different places. Some teenage boys were walking through a wooded area near the Delaware River mm-hmm. known as the Trails when they spotted bloody bones. Oh, God. They initially thought maybe that they had stumbled upon, like, a dead deer. Yeah. But as they walked kind of further into the wooded area, they discovered human remains and called 911. Police came out immediately, and it was definitely human remains, but the body was so badly beaten. Oh, my God. The head had been bludgeoned so badly that the person was completely unrecognizable. Oh, my God. There were teeth found in the grass surrounding the body. Parts of the victim's face was missing. Mm. It was horrific. Initially, police thought that this must have been a robbery. The victim's pockets had been turned out. An empty wallet was found nearby. This would be a hell of a robbery. I it mean, sure would be a hell of a robbery. Yeah, no, they didn't think that. Come on. What? Just remember what you said. <laughs> okay. I say a lot of stuff. Took a little note in your head about, oh, no, this couldn't be a robbery. That'd be too crazy. All right. Well, it would be. Sure would be. Like I said, an empty wallet was found nearby. There was no ID on it. There were all kinds of things around the body that had clearly been used to murder this person. There was a bloody rock. There was a hatchet. There were all kinds of things that had just been left there. Mm. The police obviously were trying to ID this body. They went through missing persons reports to try and figure out who this was. In the meantime, a medical examiner took a look at the remains and put the time of death somewhere about 24 hours before this body had been found. Almost all of the injuries to this person were about the face and head. Hmm. But the 
Victim also had a pretty severe injury to their hand, but it had partially healed. So the medical examiner knew that that was a separate injury. Right. And in looking through the missing persons reports that they had in the area, they found the report on 16-year-old Jason Sweeney. And when his parents had reported him missing, they had specifically noted that he had a deep cut to his hand from working construction. You know, and I was even going to say, like, I'm surprised they didn't make the parents wait 24 hours Mm -hmm. to – I mean, I hate that they do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they had made the report but hadn't done anything other than just, like, contact Jason's friends. And they had said – no, man, he was supposed to come, but he never did. Yeah, but in some of these stories, they oh, basically yeah. tell the parents to F Fuck off, off for yeah. 24 hours. Yeah. And so when they discovered this kind of alignment, that there was this mm-hmm. injury to this victim's hand and that they had a missing person who had specifically noted they would have an injury to their hand, the police went to the Sweeney home, showed them a picture, showed Jason's father and sister a picture of a hand with an injury Yeah, and said, is this Jason's hand? And they looked at it and they knew immediately that it was him. At that point, Jason's family gave police a list of some of the people Jason had been hanging around with. He had a kind of a group of friends that he had been close to for years but had recently kind of distanced himself from at his parents' request, basically. Jason had this group of friends and his parents just really believed that they were headed in the wrong direction. Apparently, there's this area of Philadelphia, there's an area – Near Fishtown, where there's just a butthole. A b- no. <laughs> <laughs> no, where there's just major drug issues. There's like okay. they're openly selling heroin and stuff in the area. And yeah. these friends of his were known to frequent that area. And his parents were like, you know what? Being friends with them is just going to put you off course and what your goals for your life mm-hmm. are. We'd recommend that you stay away from them. Well, that never works. Never works. Yeah. No. But I'm I'm with you, yes. parents. Yeah. Yeah. So among those group of friends was Edward Batzig Jr. I believe he went by Ed. And Jason had been friends with him since the fourth grade. Like they'd been best friends for years. Mm-hmm. And then shortly before this, he'd actually gone with the Sweeney's on a family vacation to Florida. And something about his behavior on that trip made – Jason's parents be like, we don't want you to see him anymore. Wow. This is not a good friend. This is not a good influence. This is not someone you need to be around. Right. And so according to Jason's parents, he'd started distancing himself from them. Ed had done some work for Jason's dad sometimes. Like he'd helped out Mm -hmm. at the construction company. And like from that point on after this family vacation, they were like, he's not welcome at our house anymore. He's not. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And another Two people who were part of that group were Nicholas and Dominic Koya. So they were a little bit older. Well, Dominic was. Dominic was 17. Nicholas was 16. And the four of them had been a friend group for several years. Mm-hmm. And Jason's parents saw kind of the same thing going on with them. The Koya brothers had been raised mostly by their father. And he was kind of maybe just not a real consistent figure in their life. Their mom mm-hmm. had left when they were young. and. And they just were getting mixed up in all kinds of stuff that they just didn't want Jason involved with. And so as a whole, they'd been like, just stop, you know, stop fraternizing with these people. Right. Which, you know, like you said, 
is never works. Never works. Yeah. And so the police track down. What do you down, do, though? I know. What do you do? I don't know. I, yeah. I think that would be so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So initially the police, you know, talked to all three of these people separately. They talked to Justina separately and all of them said the same thing. They had planned to meet up with Justin in the woods that night, in that area, the trails, and he'd never showed up. Something must have happened to him before he got to us. No. But then people start talking around town because nobody could keep their mouth shut. Yeah. And Dominic Koya and Nicholas Koya were bragging to people that they'd plotted this whole thing. They'd planned to rob Jason. No. And they'd used Justina to put their plan in motion. So turns out that Justina was dating Jason, but she was also sleeping with both Koya brothers and Jason's best friend, Ed Batzig, and that they'd all come up with this idea together because Jason was doing really well for himself. He was making $500 a week, and they knew he got paid on Fridays. So Justina was supposed to lure him to the trails, say she wanted to have, like, a little tryst in the woods with him, Mm -hmm. and then while she had him, like, down on the ground, the others were going to jump out and rob him. And take the cash that he'd been paid that week for work. Nope. So they bring in Justina at first. And she comes in with her mom and, again, initially says, no, didn't have anything to do with it. They bring Eddie in and he was the first to confess. It's exactly what they had done. They had lured Jason into the woods. Justina had promised to have sex with him mm-hmm. in the woods that day. Mm-hmm. She'd got him to lay down. She'd gotten him to pull his pants down even. So he'd be so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as soon as he was like on the ground and she was over him, distracting him, the other three jumped out and attacked him. This Eddie Batzig, his best friend since the fourth grade delivered the first blow. He hit him three times in the head with a hatchet. Oh, my God. He told the police during his interrogation that Jason cried and asked him to stop and said, I'm bleeding, Mm -hmm. and pleaded for them to stop. And then the Koya brothers joined in. They had a hammer and a rock, and they beat him to death right there in the woods. And so Justina just sat there and watched this whole thing? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. This is unreal. Yeah. And then when they were finished, they took his money out of his wallet, his $500 that he'd been paid for the week of work, Mm -hmm. and split it up between the four of them. $125 apiece. And then they hugged each other. Really? In celebration of what they had done. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then they'd use the money that they'd split up between them to buy heroin, marijuana, and, okay, all of the articles put this really weird. I, was Xanax not a thing in 2003? Why? What'd they say? The tranquilizer known as Xanax. <laughs> I must have been hot on the <laughs> was, was Xanax new know. in 2003? Uh, these are the questions I can't I answer. don't know the answer to that. I'm kind of an ibuprofen gal. So. <laughs> yeah. So they bought drugs and then they, in the words of Dominic Koya, they partied beyond redemption. That's an interesting way of phrasing it. Mm-hmm. And they left Jason's body in the woods. They went back to the, the Koya's house and that's where they partied the four of them together. How do people get so fucked up at such a young age? I have no that idea. Is... Yeah, we're talking about a 15-year-old Two 16-year-olds and a 17-year-old beat their lifelong friend to death for $500. Not even $125 each. It wasn't for the money. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. They each, when they were brought in for interrogations, admitted to all of this and admitted that they'd been planning it for a couple of weeks. They actually had planned a weekend trip to like the Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. and they planned to rob him there. And they were going to, I think, leave him there. And then he told them that he was going to have to work over the weekend, and so he couldn't go. And so he'd messed up the plan. They were going to leave him there dead? Or? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. According to another friend who heard about all this after it happened, Dominic Koya bragged that they had planned this murder for weeks. So Mm, I assume that they were going to murder him at the shore too. But I'm kind of shocked that this was planned for weeks. Yeah. So they planned – like for two weeks they planned it and then when they went to put it in action to go take the weekend at the shore, Jason said, you know, I can't go. I have to work, which is probably I'm guessing – an excuse like, oh, my parents won't let me right, go. Right, right. Yeah. And so they'd come up with this alternate plan for God, Justina to parents. lure him into the woods. Yep. And, do, and then they would do it there. They said that before they did it, before they went to the woods to lie in wait for him, mm-hmm. that they listened to the song Helter Skelter by the Beatles 42 times to amp them up because they knew that was the song that Charles Manson yeah, created his okay. whole weirdos. All right, fine. Crazy thing about yeah, yeah. Forty two times. Yeah, these kids gross me out. That's yep. my, yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah. So obviously they were all arrested. So initially they wanted to try all of them as adults, and they wanted to seek the death penalty for all three of the boys. Okay. Did they want to try them all at the same time? They did. Okay. They wanted to try them all together. They wanted to try them all as adults, and they wanted to seek the death penalty for Eddie Batzig and both of the Koya brothers, Dominic mm-hmm. and Nicholas Koya. Justina Morley was 15 at the time, so she there were certain things that kind of – worked in her favor by being that age. She didn't qualify for the death penalty. She also immediately lawyered up and her lawyer really argued in the court that she had a really tough childhood. Mm -hmm. She'd had multiple suicide attempts before. She was on antidepressants. She had problems with substance use disorder. Like there were all kinds of extenuating circumstances in her childhood. And he tried to fight to keep her charges in juvenile court. Yeah, Ultimately, a judge said no, like this 
case is too heinous. And a judge determined that she would be tried as an adult. Like at the time that they decided they were going to seek the death penalty for these three teenage boys, a Supreme Court ruling came down that you cannot put a juvenile to death. Yeah. And so prosecutors were like, oh, dang, that's off the table, I guess. Hoping to kill some kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We're hoping to kill some kids because they killed a kid. Um, That'll teach him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this case moved forward with the death penalty off the table. Nobody was eligible for the death penalty. Dominic Coya was like two months shy of 18 when this took place. And so death penalty taken off the table. But what did happen is Justina Morley's attorney separated her from the case. She agreed to take a plea deal and to then testify against Eddie Batzig and Nicholas and Dominic Coya. And then the two defenses really worked against each other. The prosecution tried to say that they had lured Justina into their fold and then used her as a weapon to, you know, lure Jason to the scene Mm -hmm. and that she was kind of an unwitting participant. I don't know. I know. And so the defense strategy for Eddie Batsig and the two Koyas was that no, Justina Morley was the ringleader. It had all been Well, I don't know about that either. And that they just kind of got wrapped up in the actual murder itself. uh, Because of a temptress. Okay. Yes. Calm down, everybody. Yeah. She was a siren. She... Gross. Yeah. She slept with all of them. She used... You know, sex to get them to do what she wanted them to do. It was all her idea the entire time. And at trial, they read these letters that Justina had written to Dominic Coya while she was being held awaiting trial or awaiting her sentencing after pleading guilty, in which she said that she liked her position of power and her position as a temptress in the group and how she liked how that had made her feel powerful. Hmm. And so the defense used that against the prosecution at trial. But Justina took the stand and she said that she had only written those things to try and fit in with the group even after the fact. That she'd never really meant them. It was just so she could still fit in with Dominic Koya who she believed was, you know, kind of the leader and she wanted to look cool to him is the reason that she wrote those letters. You know, I would also believe that she did enjoy – I would her too. position in the group. I absolutely do. And that still to me doesn't make her the ringleader. Oh, I agree. I don't think there necessarily has to be a ringleader. Right. That's what I think. Yeah. I think you get, you know, four very troubled, troubled people kids. together. Yep. Yeah. And start floating an idea around and it snowballs and yeah. I don't necessarily think there had to be one person in charge of the whole thing. Yeah, but in the court system, we love for one person to be the ringleader. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The defense did try to argue that all three, Eddie and Nicholas and Dominic, were under the influence of drugs at the time of this. And so they lacked the intent to kill that is required to support a first-degree murder conviction. Well, didn't they plan this thing? Yeah, they fucking planned it out. They all said they planned it out. Well, okay. But the defense tried to argue that, you know, the lack of intent meant you couldn't find them guilty of first-degree murder. And at the very most, they had committed third-degree murder. Oh, 
wow, no, I'm afraid not. No, but in response to that, the prosecution played clips of each person's interrogation with the police Mm -hmm. where they admitted what they had done, how they'd planned it, how they'd listened to Helter Skelter 42 times. I mean, everybody, all, all of these people were talking. Yeah. Nobody kept anything a secret. Justina Morley was kind of like the prosecution's star witness. So her deal, she pled guilty and was sentenced to 17 and a half to 35 years in prison. They also had another friend, a friend of Dominic Koya's testified. He's the one I mentioned earlier. His name was Joshua Staub. And he said that leading up to Jason's murder, they had mentioned that they were plotting something. They were planning something. They were going to mm. lure Jason. But... He wasn't sure that they meant they were going to murder him. He thought they were going to rob him because specifically Eddie Batsig knew that on that particular day, Jason would have $500 cash on him because it was payday. The defense's claim that the intent couldn't exist because all of them were under the influence of drugs at the time. The prosecution was able to put some holes in that because during Dominic's interrogation by the police, they asked him if he was under the influence of drugs at the time. And he said, no, "No, I was as sober as I am now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The prosecution told the jury that while robbery might have been the motive here. It wasn't the real motive. Mm -hmm. It was jealousy. The group was jealous of Jason's success in life and the path that he was on. You know, he had chosen a different path for himself. He had big goals and he was really working hard to make them. And they were jealous of it. Yeah. And so the money was just a bonus for them. Right. It was really about, yeah, being jealous of their friend. The defense contested that that was not true, that it was about robbery. It's clearly not. It's not. It's not. You can't tell me that these four kids You don't kill someone, someone so brutal, yeah. brutally if yeah. all you want is their money. They beat him so badly that only one cheekbone was left unbroken in his entire face. Yeah, that's... Yeah. No. Really loving this story, by I the way. Know, what a great it's one. terrible. <laughs> so bad. Why are you like that? <laughs> Ultimately, Eddie Batzig and Nicholas and Dominic Koya were convicted. And the first-degree murder conviction at that time in Pennsylvania held a mandatory life without parole sentence. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that happened in 2000. But didn't that Supreme Court ruling? Oh, okay. oh so this sorry. happened yeah. like in 2004, okay. 2005. And in 2012, the Supreme Court ruled that it was a mandatory life sentence for a juvenile was unconstitutional. Yeah. And so. Gosh, all... sorry. I'm so knowledgeable. I know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's all because of you. You always cover these terrible cases <laughs> where kids so that ruling, do awful stuff. <laughs> that ruling, Miller versus Alabama, we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast. That came down in 2012. And then in 2013, Pennsylvania decided that it wasn't just automatically retroactive. Oh. Yeah. Like each person would have to go in and appeal their sentence and go through a resentencing hearing. And then a judge would determine if that life without parole sentence was put in unjustly, essentially. 
But the Supreme Court decided that it was unconstitutional. Yeah, but it leaves it up to the state to determine oh. if it's retroactive or not. Ooh. Yeah. I don't love that. Yeah. <laughs> so what'd they decide? So they decided it wasn't automatically retroactive, but that they each person who'd been sentenced under right. that, they could go in and, yes, they could yeah. go in and re- okay, they but could what go in for resentencing. So in 2015, Nicholas Koya had a resentencing hearing and the judge said, no, he didn't deserve to be resentenced, mm. that his crime was particularly heinous and the only punishment that fit the crime in this particular instance was life in prison without the possibility of parole. Wow. And later, the same was decided for both Dominic Koya and Eddie Batsig. They were not resentenced. Mm. They all three remain in prison with life sentences without the possibility of parole. It's such a difficult thing for me because I think this case is horribly heinous. Mm-hmm. Also, they were 16 and 17-year-old kids. I don't know. I just have trouble like putting somebody who's 16 years old away for prison without the possibility of parole. You're giving a 16-year-old a death sentence. Yeah. This is one of those things – to me, it's not hard. I mean I just feel like we can't do that. I know. I know. What they did was terrible but I think we have to treat – Juveniles, juveniles as juveniles than we do adults. Yes. I mean, the science is there. The science tells us that your brain is not fully done mm-hmm. developing yet. You yeah. don't have all the proper reasoning skills yet. Like, And the thing is, when I hear about kids who do something like this, I know that if I heard anything about their lives growing up, I'd be in tears. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And you're bringing in other issues here. We're talking about substance use disorders and yeah. Justina Morley, though, because she took the plea deal and she was sentenced to 17 and a half to 30 years in prison. She has been paroled. She was released in December of 2020. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. She's out. Dominic Koya wrote a memoir. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that? Oh, gosh. Because he changed like his whole story at the when he wrote his memoir. It really, yeah. uh, he proclaimed his innocence, gave like, said that he was under the influence of drugs at the time, that none of it was his idea. He wasn't a willing participant. Okay. Apologized to Jason's family. Just completely different than anything he'd right. ever said leading up to that. The Sweeney family started a foundation in Jason Sweeney's name to give scholarships to students at Valley Forge Military wow. Academy. They started this right after that. I wasn't able to see if it's still active today. Right, right. They did start that in his honor. A graphic novel has been written about this murder case. It's called Fishtown. I don't know very much about it. There was also a CSI episode Mm -hmm. that was like, you know, ripped from the headlines. I see. Done. Very good of you to remember the name of the show (laughs) and perhaps some details about it. (laughs) Yeah. And Jason Sweeney's sister, Melissa, was interviewed on this program that I watched, Murder Among Friends. And obviously she just talked about how 
this impacted their family and how Jason. It'd be terrible. Yeah, oh my God. Jason had all these big dreams that he never got to, never got to see because of this horrible thing these people that called themselves his friends. Yeah, did to him. And that's the story of some terrible fucking friends. Boy, I need another break from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that was rough. Oh, my gosh. It feels like so long since we've been we've done know. this. But should we take some questions yes! from our Discord? To get in the Discord, all you have to do is join our Patreon at the $5 level. Or higher. Or higher. That's right. Ooh. What is wrong with people, asks Brandy. If you stumbled across it one day, would you ever read Teenaged London's Diary? Oh. I would like to say that I would respect her privacy and not read it, but I know that who I am as a person. I know. I'd for sure read it. Oh, yeah. It's it's a real test of growth right there. Yeah. That would be so hard not to read. Yeah. Maybe you could call me over and I could read it. Right. Yes. And then I could tell you about it. Yeah. On the podcast. Yeah. And that, that would great. Yeah. That wouldn't be a violation <laughs> of anything. Ooh, witchy bird asked Brandy, will you wear a garter at your wedding for David? This feels fun, but also feels like it might contradict with the never knew. No, not interested. No garter, no garter toss, no pulling stuff off my body while my family watches. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, why not? Absolutely not. <laughs> What if your family specifically requested it? <laughs> yeah, I've always thought that was nope. so weird. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so not. So freaking weird. Nope. Norm and I just got fully naked at our wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Out of work supermodel says, Brandy, I've been hearing a lot of people recommending double shampooing your hair when you wash it and was wondering if you had an opinion on it as someone who basically has a PhD in hair. I always double shampoo my hair. Always. I always do too because you told me yeah. to. <laughs> so this is my this is my my thoughts on it. Okay. The first one, the first shampoo washes away product, whatever. The second shampoo cleanses the hair. I mean I double cleanse my face, might as well. I am a double double shampooer. Oh my gosh. What? Brandy's Zoom anxiety asks Brandy and Kristen, what is the least amount of money you'd accept to eat a spider? Someone asked me this recently, and I immediately thought of you guys. Hmm. Is the spider alive? That's what I, I need to know that, too. Let's, let's say it's dead. Okay, it's dead. Dead spider. What's the least amount of money I'd accept to eat it? Hmm. It's going to have to be enough money that it significantly improves my life. 50 grand. Not enough. You wouldn't eat a dead spider for 50 grand? So. Maybe I would. 75 grand. Okay, what are the conditions? Can I like swallow it like a pill? Like with, sure. Chase it with a big Do whatever you want with that spider. All right. 75 grand. Wow. How much would you do it for? Well, okay. $5. <laughs> um, I'm okay, I'm trying to think of like the least amount. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, I'd probably do it for twenty grand. Probably fifteen. Possibly ten grand. 
I mean, it's you dead. do it for ten grand. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Norm would be so mad at me if I didn't. <laughs> if he found out, Norm would do it for a oh, hundred bucks. Yeah, he totally. Would. He would do it for one hundred dollars. <laughs> He'd be like, "Yeah, hundred bucks, absolutely. Yeah, whatever. It's dead. It's dead." <laughs> okay, what if the spider's alive? Oh God. Oh boy. Yikes. Oh, that freaked me out. Can I smash it and then eat no. it? No. Got to throw it down you the throw hatch. throw it back. Oh, God. Ew, you're grossing me out. Mm-mm. I don't know. It'd be, be a lot more. Yeah. 500 grand. That's my offer to you. 500 grand to consume a lot. I mean, I don't think I could turn that down. I think I'd have to do it. Right. I know. I know. Terrible. Cody with a K says, Brandy, are you a secret Disney adult and you're afraid to admit it to Kristen? No, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a Disney adult. I, I like I would. Disney. Not, I'd not. say you're a Disney adult, you freak. <laughs> you went to the... Yeah, I went to Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Yeah, I like Disney movies. I don't... I've been to Disney World once when I was a kid. I don't have, like... Disney-themed items in my house. Do you miss Disney movies? Do you... Is there one that just you haven't watched yet? Probably. No. I've never seen Moana. Would you like to see Moana? I'd watch it. I don't have like a big... Okay. I feel nostalgic about the old Disney movies. I'm Mm -hmm. not particularly... Like I'll watch the new ones when they came out. Like we watched Turning Red, like well, family movie nights. Mm -hmm. I do have children so <laughs> yeah but see you're hiding behind that now but there was a time when you didn't yeah and i and went and would... saw like the live the beauty and the beast when it came out i did go mm-hmm. see that in the theater but i think that was and more you about brought like candy for the kids i did not to lure them to you I did and not <laughs> <laughs> no i think i just like disney a normal amount mm-hmm. i am a harry potter adult though uh-huh for sure yeah for sure a harry potter adult definitely i'm not ashamed of it <laughs> it's funny though like if you're not a Disney adult why do you have the Pluto underwear <laughs> I don't have Pluto underwear <laughs> <laughs> to me it's weird that it's lingerie you know like who's getting turned on really <laughs> there now I've kink shamed and I've Disney adult shamed wonderful oh my gosh <laughs> Kristen got in my car <laughs> To go to lunch today in a podcast I was listening to, like, just started playing up because my phone was synced to my car. And I was like, oh, my gosh, hold on. I got I got to pause it. I got to pause it. I was uh, listening to a recent episode of This Is Actually Happening. And it was this guy who, like, learned what all of his kinks were. And he was like exploring them extensively and talking about how he explored his kinks and found out what he was into. And I was like, this is going to set Kristen off <laughs> for shit. <laughs> at, like legitimately the point that it was at when I paused it, uh-huh. he was explaining um, that what puppy play is. What is puppy play? <laughs> Ew, you pretend you're a puppy? Mm-hmm. Ew. Mm-hmm. God. And how he thought he'd never be into that. And then – Turns out he was. Oh, God. Uh, that's an episode I'll skip. <laughs> <laughs> Cat Attack wants to know, if you were on Survivor, for what reason would you be voted off? A, doing badly in challenges. B, not getting along with your tribe mates. C, being a strategic threat. Or D, other. Other. D, other. Because I would just be like losing my fucking mind anytime a bug was anywhere near me. Oh, yeah. That would do it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, to me, it would be doing badly in challenges. <laughs> There's no question. Oh, Cha Cha Slide asks, "What's the weirdest kink you've heard of, and why is it absolutely not for you?" Let me tell you about this podcast I just listened to. Okay, I'll tell you the one that really freaks me out. What? You know what? I think it has to do with my Disney adult phobia. Yeah. Adults acting as babies. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not into it. Yeah. So quit asking. That's a big one. That's like a. That's not even that weird. Like that's a pretty mainstream kink. I am so grossed out. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you what this guy did on this show. Okay, so he started out, like, he discovered that he was kinky at the very young age of, like, six when he was turned on by an episode of Batman where someone was tied up. And he didn't know really what was happening in his body at that age. Yeah, okay. But he got some feelings. Yeah, and then as he got older, he began exploring that more and more. And now he's into chastity play, which is where a cage mm-hmm. is put around his junk. Right. And should he become aroused, uh-huh. it will stab and cut his penis. Wow. Yeah. I am less disturbed <laughs> by that than if he was like, goo goo gaga. Yeah. I mean, seriously. You want to cut your dick up, go ahead. You know? (laughs) God bless. (laughs) Oh, oh, cha-cha slide. Blow it after cha-cha slide. So they asked that question, what's the weirdest kink you've ever heard Uh and why is it absolutely not for you? And then they follow up, and of course, without judging the people who like this kink. (laughs) Honey, you have not entered the no judgment zone. <laughs> I can't have it both ways. Cha-cha's <laughs> line. <laughs> Ooh, hey, Teach wants to know, what did you get rejuvenated on this break? Um, Interestingly enough, Kristen had to get her vagina unjuvenated because it was too tight from the last time. <laughs> Wait, so now, are, now am I getting compliments? Is it, like, fishy and too tight? Like, what? Brandy, you're just obsessed with me. <laughs> yeah, see, ask Brandy, what did you do for London's birthday? Oh, we had a sweet little donut party for her. We had it was too sweet. Do you get it? Do you get it though? Too sweet. And then David, Jack, and I all wore donut shirts, and we served donuts. And London wore this cute little pink dress. It looked like it had sprinkles all over it. She was adorable. She was so cute. This was the most well-attended two-year-old's birthday it party sure in all the land. Was. <laughs> absolutely was. Yeah, we showed up, and um, David teased Norm for not wearing his donut shirt. <laughs> So next time, please make sure Norman has a shirt to wear. Absolutely. (laughs) He felt like a fool. Ooh, not enough potty humor says, can we please talk about how crazy it is that there's no cicadas in KC this year? It's so quiet. This is a thing. Like the cicadas are only bad every so many years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most times it's not like we don't have – it's I'm, like a whole. There's a whole thing about this. I'm sorry. I just read a question that is 
kind of blowing my mind a little What's bit. What's the question? Okay. There were balloons everywhere, says, I randomly received LGTC stickers in the mail like two weeks ago. My mom and husband both swear that they didn't order them for me. Did you guys decide to start sending out surprise stickers, or are my mom and husband just really dedicated to this, not ruining the surprise? What the? Okay, so I, I'm the one who sends those out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think I would have sent just stickers to some random person. Although, oh my god, you know what? What? <laughs> I might have. Okay, okay. What did you do? (laughs) (laughs) I was clearing out my desk a couple weeks ago, and I found, like, a random um, envelope that I had addressed, Uh and there was a stamp on it. No, there was no stamp on it. I had addressed it, and there were stickers in it, and I was like, well, I I don't know why this is here. I probably should send it out. I wonder if— Maybe that— That's our gift to you. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on the stickers. <laughs> mm. Kate Reese asks, if your legs are not the same length, is one too short or is one too long? I don't think mine are the same length. Which So do you have one that's too short or do you have one that's too long? Are you trying to make this into like a glass half full or glass half <laughs> empty thing? <laughs> You think your legs are different lengths? I don't know. I walk kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you probably just need to, like, go to the chiropractor or something? I'm scared that I'll— I'm scared because of a story you told me. I know. I'm scared to go to the chiropractor, too. All right. Ooh, French garlic, people. What is First of all, what does that mean? (laughs) Second of all, your question. Brandy, have you had any drama surrounding wedding planning? I just lost my best friend of 25 years over me asking to be put first for once. Oh. Okay. First of all, they were never your friend then. Like, that sucks. I want to know more about that story. That's terrible. It's your wedding and, and – no, my only uh, my only wedding party is this bitch over here. So everything's <laughs> been fine. <laughs> wow. Hmm. <laughs> Brandy, all I ask is that I be the number one that day. Yeah. I will wear a white dress. <laughs> and it will be bigger than yours. What would you do? Uh, uh, nothing. What if I got... Oh, this is tacky to say. What if I got like a Princess Diana replica <laughs> dress, but it was very poorly done because, you know, obviously I didn't want to spend the money. Right. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is my bridesmaid dress. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I think I'd ask you not to wear it because <laughs> you were jealous of how good I looked in no. it. No. <laughs> <laughs> what if I looked so bad in it that you, you were know, like, "Oh, actually, yeah." What if? Okay. What if I looked so bad in it that you know? At first, you're like, "What the hell is she doing?" But then you catch a glimpse of us in the mirror, and you're like, "My God, I look like amazing." Next to her <laughs> this ugly dress. Here's the deal. You know that I would never think that. <laughs> but what if this one time you did? And you're like, yep, you know what? <laughs> yeah, fine. Wear your princess dye dress. <laughs> 
Uh, pant or skirt suit asks Brandy, how do you not get makeup on your pillowcase? I do. I do get makeup on my pillowcase. God, you're so and I freaking then weird. wash it with OxyClean so that it's beautiful and white again. I think about you a lot. I'll have you know, <laughs> not kind thoughts <laughs> when I'm doing my skincare routine. Your Thirty-two step skincare yep. routine. Oh, I tell you, when I get a pimple, I really have some thoughts about you, ma'am. Because I'm like, how much money? Have I invested? How much time have I invested? Brandy's over there snoring with her makeup on. That's right. With perfectly dewy, clear skin. Ooh. Suspicious Midwest Salad asks if you had a chance to watch an autopsy be performed, would you? Nope. Yes. Nope. Absolutely. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm busy that day. Ooh, Little Taste of Peter says, Stranger Things, yay or nay? If yay, how do you feel about volume two? If nay, how dare you? Yay, all the way. Watched it, loved it, cried, felt all the things. Including. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I hate to cut us off there, but I have to pee so badly. Okay, great. So should we do Supreme Court inductions? I'm afraid we shall. All right. We will be reading your names and favorite cookies. And to get inducted on this podcast, all you have to do is join our Patreon at the $7 level or higher. Mm. Avery Fawcett. Warm Nestle Toll House chocolate chip. I think I said Avery's name wrong. Let me do it again. Okay. Avery Fawcett. All right. <laughs> I think I said her favorite cookie wrong. <laughs> Shh. <Do> Worm. You... <laughs> Nestle. Anyway, Shelly Sawyer Curtis. Chocolate, peanut butter, sea salt, caramel. That's a lot of things going on. Erica Wilson. Homemade shortbread. Charlie Beathers. Pumpkin chocolate chip. Lenny. Pizzles. Or pizzles. Oh, it's like, pizzles. oh, oh, pizzle is like, Sounds like penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Your pizzle all up in my vagisle. <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. That's not what you meant? No. Um, you know, bully sticks, <laughs> when you look at the ingredients, it says like bull pizzle or something, I think. And then you look that up and you're like, penis. Anyway, I don't, I don't think Lenny's favorite cookies. Like a snip shizzle my pizzle you thought that's where I was going with it (laughs) no I was being 100% serious my bad Julia Schwartoff oh ironically Snoop style brownies (laughs) Hope Lincoln Brookie Lori Gowan warm chocolate chip Juliana Little Pink Kristen. <laughs> Laura Daly. Coconut chocolate chip cookies. Adriana P. Chex Mix chocolate chip. Ooh, I bet that's good. Ariel H. Samoas. Lucia Cunningham. Oh, hey, Lucia. I know Lucia. She's oh, my friend. Me. Uh, frozen Thin Mints. That's right. You're not my only friend. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucia has not once said that my vagina smells like this. <laughs> Yeah. Or that old town named after At least she hasn't said it to my face. <laughs> Anya Roland. What? Mm-hmm. Double. <laughs> double. Joseph <laughs> Warren. 
They are like a Norwegian version of Swedish mandelflarn, and since they are double-layered and full of chocolate, plus have no almonds in them, they are obviously far superior to mandelflarn. Okay, let me try that again. Double mandelflarn. Okay, well, there you That's go. Not, that That's, was no better. It was wonderful. <laughs> Brett Cowden. Oat and pecan brittle cookies from Desert Person. Oh, Desert Des- Person. <laughs> Like Claire Saffitz, High Priestess of Baking. Well, boy, that was a mouthful, and I handled it beautifully. This abduction is, this is terrible. Vicky Less! Brown butter bourbon pecan chocolate chip with salt on top. Angie Peterson! Oatmeal raisin. Wow, imagine being a simple gal. Yeah. <laughs> Mesa! <laughs> Half-baked chocolate chip. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Supreme Court! <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, boy, we're back. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We're so happy to be back. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. And be sure to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from an episode of West 57th titled Bitter Quarrel, A Test of Love, as well as reporting from the New York Times and an article for the Minnesota Lawyer by Benjamin Kwan titled The Minnesota Legal Fight That Changed the Course of the Gay Rights Movement. That's a mouthful. It sure is. I got my info from an episode of Murder Among Friends, an article for Medium by Nicole Henley, ABC News, The Los Angeles Times, and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. Woo!